0: That's investher, H-E-R, con.com, promo code 100, best ever to get $100 off your ticket.
1: I'm not advocating for people to quit their jobs uh, with passive income tomorrow or even replace completely the idea of retirement What I'm saying is passive income has been much more beneficial to people who've adopted it.
0: Real quick before the episode, I want to give you a gift of 25% off. And that gift actually is from TransUnion Smart Move. Go to TenantScreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. for a limited time, listeners of this podcast are invited to try Smartmove Tenant Screening for 25% off. Here's how Smartmove can help you find your next great tenant. Make a more informed decision with Smartmove's proprietary credit score built specifically for tenant screening, which predicts evictions 15% better than a typical credit score. Reduce non payment risk with Smartmove's Income Insights Report, which enables you to analyze the applicant's income within minutes and determine if additional income verification is needed. Get critical information quickly with a full credit report, criminal background, and eviction history report. With over 5 million screenings completed, SmartMove can help you make a better leasing decision for your rental property. If you own a rental property, SmartMove can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to TenantScreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of the fluffy stuff. And with us today, Daniel Amaduri. How you doing, Daniel?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks
0: for having me back on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. And you mentioned it already back on the show. So best ever listeners, you want to check out Daniel's best ever advice. You can go to episode 1106 titled How to Find Owner Financing Deals. Daniel's the co-founder of Future Money Trends. He also recently wrote the book Don't Save for Retirement. That's going to be our focus for conversation today. He has over 40 transactions, owns 15 rental units, seven homes, two duplexes, and a fourplex based in San Diego, California. So best ever listeners, first off, hope you're having the best ever weekend because today is Sunday. We have a special segment called Skill Set Sunday, and the skill set we're going to be talking about is around the focus of the book that Daniel has, Don't Save for Retirement. So Daniel, if we don't save for retirement, what the hell are we supposed to do?
1: Exactly. You know, well, first of all, it's don't save for retirement. And really what I mean by is that is don't save for conventional retirement, because all these different things are great for the retirement industry. They're making a fortune, the brokers, the mutual funds, the ETFs, the 401ks, they are making money hand over fist. It's just not working out for the clients and the baby boomers. And what does work is something that's been proven for thousands of years. And that's preserving your capital and buying things that produce income. It's as simple as that. Instead of saving for retirement and deferring and using all these different things like a 401k where you don't even know where it's going to be in 30 years or what the tax rate for the withdrawals are going to be, how about focusing on passive income? Because what I did was I looked at what are the wealthy doing? What are the middle class doing? And there's a huge divide. The middle class, of course, they're trying to get rich and most of them overnight. The wealthy, they're preserving, they're focused on income, but it is the one proven way that works what they're doing. The whole retirement idea, I mean, really, it's the 401k has been around, legislation passed in the 70s, but it's been around since the 1980s, same thing with the IRA. So I think there's just a better way to go about living your life and having your life becoming financially free.
0: So I pride myself on thinking through the opposing opinion on basically anything and just thinking, okay, if we think this, then what would the other group say that's the opposite? And what would their points be? Just because I think it's good to have that ability to be able to do that so that the initial perspective that I have, I can make that stronger or perhaps I retreat from that and I open up my mind to this other stuff. This I'm going to have a hard time doing because I agree with you and I don't really do stock market investing, and I agree with everything you said. So what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to ask you because I'm sure you've come across people who are heavily in the stock market, and they have other retirement accounts. And you've mentioned this to them, and then they have some counterpoints. So help me ask some good questions about it. What are their counterpoints to the things you just mentioned?
1: Well, it's interesting that you bring it up like that because uh, yesterday I was emailed by a New York Times uh, reporter who was looking at the book and wanted to ask me some questions. And he says, how many people are making $100,000 a year from passive income that started as a middle class? How many people have subscribed to your letter and have done this with passive income and have quit their jobs? And it's like, he's asking me questions. He knows there's no data point. There's no data on that. So I actually flipped it on him. I said, how about we do this? Let's go over the data for what you're advocating. And I said, Vanguard, the biggest mutual fund company on the planet, they are saying, according to their data, the median 401 k that's 65 and older has $58,000 in their account. And then you look at Social Security, which doesn't even equate to the cost of survival increases annually anymore. Then you look at savings accounts, which is part of that three-legged stool retirement plan, and they're offering 0% interest. So what I kind of flipped it back to him and said, look... I don't have a lot of data points for how many people have come from nothing and gone to passive income or, or have done a partial retirement. But I do have a ton of data to show you that the other way that you guys are advocating for is an <laughs> absolute failure. So I would say oh, this what was his of- response. <laughs> I haven't gotten a response. That was literally yesterday. So I'll, I'll let you know. But you, you you, s- you, but you said it, Oh, was it via email? It was via email. We have an email. Oh, email. Okay. Well, so we'll see what he says. But, um, okay. Look, I'm not advocating for people to quit their jobs uh, with passive income tomorrow or even replace completely the idea of retirement. What I'm saying is passive income has been much more beneficial to people who've adopted it. I have used passive income to pay my bills. I have used passive income to go on vacations. And I simply don't worry about retirement at all because I love what I do, which we do talk about what you're going to do in life as far as work and how healthy it is. But we also talk about in the book that you do have that option. And that is where that real financial security and peace and freedom comes from when, hey, maybe your dream was to be an engineer, or maybe you're a prosecutor that puts away certain criminals that you really are passionate about doing that job, do that job. But what I'm saying is when you buy passive income and reshift your mind from capital appreciation to income, It opens up all kinds of opportunities and a peace of mind and a feeling of wealth that is worth pursuing.
0: Okay, I'll do my best to pretend I'm the reporter and continue his line of questions. So you mentioned passive, but investing in real estate really is not passive because there's some form of activity we've got to do. Even I have three single-family homes outside of the apartment communities that we have, and those three single-family homes once a year have got to pay the insurance bill, and once a month I maybe get an email from a property manager about something that happened, and that's on the management side. But going into purchasing those, there was work involved to educate myself, find the right city, and find the right team, versus I go on Vanguard and I could pick whatever options they have and just passively, and that truly is a passive investment, and just let it ride on the stock market.
1: Yeah, the stock market to me is not a good diversifier for most people. They're probably not sophisticated enough to even know what stock to buy. I mean, Warren Buffett even hasn't beaten the S&P 500 in the last 10 years. So I'm not big into stock picking. I, I do dabble into venture capitalism, but I would say for people who are comparing the two, Sure, you do have to do a little legwork or a lot of legwork if you want to make a lot of money in real estate. And it is a great way to have passive income, but there really isn't too many passive incomes that is, has nothing to do, at least if you want to maximize it like in physical properties. Now, there are private REITs, not there are public REITs too, but there are private REITs or even the crowdfunding stuff. You've heard of Pier Street and, and Fundrise. There are a lot of ways to make money and it can be 100% passive to you. But just know you're never going to get that same return as if you had gone out and purchased the apartment or purchased the single family home. Those are going to be your best returns. Now, if you want to just give the money to a private equity group that owns fractional shares of JW Marriott's, or maybe they build skyscrapers, you're going to get your 7 to 11% return. But the best returns and the best tax benefits are always going to be owning physical real estate. But yeah, sure. They got me that it's not 100% passive on owning physical real estate, but- I think we've got them checkmated that the alternative is you don't even know half the time what you're buying and you have no idea what that 401k is going to be at. At least when I have a property, not only do I have the tax benefits, but I have the income, potential appreciation, though it's not important, but you look at a 401k, for example, and people have no idea what the withdrawal rate is. Think about how risky that is. You're borrowing money from the IRS essentially by taking that deduction and not paying the tax. And you have no idea what your tax rate will be, even though what you do know for certain is taxes are lower than they've been since 1931. And you're gonna speculate that with $22 trillion in debt and ballooning entitlements and an entire movement out there to tax people more, that taxes are gonna be lower. No, taxes are gonna be higher. So why wouldn't you focus on passive income rather than deferring things in a 401k? How do you have the book outlined? Or how does it flow? Okay. So it starts off with my wife and I's journey. It literally starts actually in a bankruptcy attorney's office. And I have the first chapter in the intro for your readers. If they want to go to futuremoneytrends.com slash save, they can read it free. There's an Amazon link there, of course, if they want to continue reading. And it initially starts with, what did my wife and I do? How did we kind of just start pointing like A lot of people say, what's the first step? What do I do if I want to become financially free? Then it goes into really what is wealth and what is wealth ultimately going to mean for you? And then we go over the actual investments that I am involved in and different things that I have discovered. What I've done is I'm not worth $50 million, but I've been to a lot of these family wealth offices where everybody else in the room is worth 50 million or 100 million or even a billion. I've spoken and interviewed many billionaires and over the last few years here, and I've always just been looking for what are they doing, and I'll tell you, and your listeners will love this because they're listening to a real estate show. In the end, all roads lead back to real estate when it comes to the super wealthy.
0: Well, can you drill down into some specific things from a cash flow standpoint that have worked best for you, and then some things that did not work well for
1: you? Well, when it comes to cash flow, I've tried to diversify it as much as possible. One of the things that works very well for me is I have been participating in private equity, either buying multi-units, say 30 to 50 units, and then doing value adds, or even getting into where we purchase farmland and lease the equipment. Now, the farmer obviously will make more money because they can actually profit from the crops, but they also carry the most risk. So it's a fair trade. They get more risk and they get more profit, but we get more safety. And again, my focus is preserving. So I love farmland. And then the income, we're getting rents from the farmland and we're leasing out the equipment to the farmers. On the income disaster sides, I would say one of my worst experiences is trying to vet and do individual mortgage notes or loans on my own. I'm just not a credit analyst. So when it comes to that, if you want to have some debt income, I would highly recommend defer to people or organizations that have been very successful and one thing I've done is I always try to find organizations that have been around for a long time. Ideally, in fact it's almost a must that they've been around before the 2008 crisis. If I'm going to partner my money with a group that's buying mortgages specifically, I want to partner with a group that has been through the 2008 crisis frankly because that was one of the worst crises. I don't see us going into something like that again for a long time because when those type of things happen investors tend to be more on the conservative side for some time. So probably my worst experiences is me trying to actively involve myself in things I'm not an expert in. I don't know about. I would start simple when it comes to cash flow, single family homes, move into apartments. And then definitely if you're getting into bigger things, move into partnerships or places like your website where people can get educated and trained because this stuff is all repeatable. You can mimic what other people are doing. What what other people are doing, you can do. And that's one of the things I always tell our subscribers and, and my, even my kids. I'm like, look what one man can do, another can. So it's all possible. But I highly recommend people partnering with people who know what they're doing prior to just jumping out there and throwing money at something. Out of 1,800
0: or so interviews, the term farmland's come up maybe five times. So let's talk about that. How'd you get into investing in farmland?
1: You know, it always been something I wanted to do and I just could not find the right partners. And I would look at foreign farmland where you buy a parcel and the internal rate of return was like 20% and all these things. And I was like, but I don't know about that. I'd go to Panama and look at these farms. I'm like, I don't know if grandma dies on the farm, it's over. She's running the entire operation. In fact, I know a group who got into coffee farmland and the guy who was in the main farmer died and all the investors lost their money because just one guy was not part of the operation anymore. So I'd been wanting to get it for the last decade. And finally, a group out of Southern California, if anybody knows Sprout Asset Management, they're a very good group. They're commodity resource-related investment companies. And they had brought the opportunity up to me. It's a private fund, private equity. And that was the pitch that they were going to buy farmland all throughout the Midwestern United States. They were going to buy the equipment. They were going to lease the equipment to the farmers. And it's done really well. It's, it's appreciated at probably about 7 or 8% annually, and the, but the income is about a 10% yield on my money. So it's a great way to expose myself to farmland without owning a physical farm, which I know nothing about. (laughs) And on that
0: note, investing in something that you don't know much about, what gives you the comfort level to invest in something that you don't know a whole lot about?
1: Well, I'll give you an example in some of these mining stocks I've had a lot of success in. And what I've done is I've just been religious about making sure whoever I'm investing with is on their second go around. So I identified a handful of people, about 12 of them, and I wanted to find the guys who had already created $5 million, $10 million company to a billion dollar company. And I took those guys and I looked at what they were doing and the asset and the projects met what I wanted So I think if you're going to involve yourself in the thing you're not that familiar with, you want to make sure you're with somebody who's on their second go around, not the CPA who's decided he wants to be a gold mining expert or somebody who last year was managing a subway and this year they want to buy a 25-unit apartment building with you. So try to find people on their second go around. Now, I will tell you this from firsthand experience, and I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to this. Typically, when I venture too far away from things that I know, I usually don't make that much money. You're far better off. Whatever you're doing right now is making the most money. As entrepreneurs and investors, we love to go out and find new things. But for the most part, from my, and this is my own personal experience, is you're far better off just doubling down on what you're doing right now. Whatever's making you money, whether it's if you want to monetize your job and make your employer your first client and and expand that industry, or if you're an investor who's killing it in apartments or killing it in single-family homes, just keep killing it in single-family homes or keep killing it in apartments and just stay focused. They asked Bill Gates and Warren Buffett if they could say one word that's been the most important thing in their lives And both of them said, focus. And I really believe that because I made a lot of money in stocks and real estate. And I remember one time I wanted to venture out into the payday loan business because I saw these returns and let me just tell you, it was not a pretty thing. That business is so gone, you can't even find it on the internet. So you're better off sticking with what you do know. But if you don't, make sure you're partnering with somebody who's on their second go around.
0: Anything else you think we should talk about as it relates to your experience and the topic at hand that we haven't discussed already?
1: As far as income, no, but I would say one thing that helped me become financially independent was cutting spending in an aggressive way. If you Google right now how to save money or I need to save money, that's how you switch your credit card, switch your checking account, don't drink coffee You know, at Starbucks. When my wife and I wanted to become financially free, and our definition was passive income paying for your basic needs and life, not extravagances. But just making sure that that was taken care of, we moved. That cut our expenses 50%. We got rid of our pets because they had a $150 a month bill. We stopped eating meat. You got rid of your pets because of the money? We did crazy things. <laughs> she wanted to quit her job. I hated what'd you, my what'd job. What did you do with your pets? We gave them to a very nice family who actually kept a lot of these different type of dogs. They were wiener dogs. Uh, okay. Because uh, they, they had back issues. So Now, this goes back to 2009, 2010. Uh, okay, tough to time, a Much different life, right? Uh, right, right, right. So, that was us crushing all expenses. And what that allowed us to do, it freed us up to buy even more passive income. And of course, that snowballed and compounded. And my wife was able to quit her job. And then I quit my job. And today we live a very good life. So even though I was financially independent, I still drove a 2003 Nissan Altima in 2012. Now, I'm not telling people that's how it's going to be permanently. That's not how it is now. My wife and I, uh, we just got done traveling for 60 days in, in Africa and in Japan and Israel. And we took an Atlantic cruise with Disney to, from Miami to Barcelona. So I'm not telling people you're sucking it up and living a poor, minimalist life. I'm saying we need to cut deep because most of us aren't living sustainable lives because we've adopted what we've been conditioned to do. Just like the retirement savings, having a five to eight year auto loan, having a, an auto loan that's equal to your annual income. That's just stupid stuff that we do because we think it's normal. So the book really goes into how do you deep, deep cut spending? And because you're doing it not permanently, you're just doing it because what you wanna do is you need to free up as much money as you can to buy income. You need to put those dollar bills out there and put them to work. I have the mindset when I go check my mailbox or log into my checking account, I'm looking for ACH deposits. I'm looking for checks in the mail. And that's a very rewarding and healthy lifestyle I think everybody can benefit from.
0: How can the best of listeners learn more about what you got
1: going on? I would love for you guys just go to com slash save. You'll get to read uh, part of the book for free. It also subscribes you to my Weekly Wealth Digest, shares stories of what my wife and I have done and what we're actively doing right now.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing your approach to making sure we're ready for retirement, having cash flow and having income-producing assets Then how you go about doing that and what has worked and what hasn't worked. So Daniel, really appreciate the conversation. Interested to hear how the New York Times reporter reacts to your email. I'm thinking you're just not going to get a reply (laughs) because they're probably looking for one perspective only. But if they are good reporters, then they'll actually get really curious about what you're saying.
1: So my publisher was the one who had the email. So I'm sure he'll get back to them just because he's probably regularly in contact with the publisher. But when I emailed them, I said he is either going to hate this or he might actually become curious and want to dig further. Yep. Well, I agree. And I
0: really appreciate it. Hope you have a best ever weekend. And we'll talk to you again soon.
1: Thank you very much, Joe.
0: If you own a rental property, TransUnion Smart Move can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. Ever wonder how the top in real estate got there? The Invest This podcast hosted by real estate investor Scott Bauer interviews the top names in the industry, giving you the tips and tricks that help you catapult your real estate business to success. Find them at investthispodcast.com.